Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Kings chapter number 18, 2 Kings chapter number 18. How many of you guys are looking forward to getting your t-shirt after chapel today? Don't forget that. You have all the tables in the lobby. They are designated by size, so please make sure you're getting the right size there. And uh, if you are thankful for these t-shirts, these were donated by a very special donor of the college who loves our college, and it would be appropriate. Uh, man, they're having fun at the Air Force Base today. So uh, it would be appropriate to uh, write a thank you note to uh, this dear couple who donated these shirts for the entire student body and our faculty. And so if you think about it, just if you have a moment today or tomorrow, jot a, a quick thank you note and you can drop that off at my office and we'll get that to uh, the person who uh, purchased these for us. And uh, we want to be thankful for these types of gifts and and uh, we're excited about wearing these shirts to our first basketball game uh, tomorrow night. And so make sure you guys are ready for that. And uh, we'll be able to give you a little bit more direction uh, in regards to that uh, tomorrow as well. But. Thank you so much uh, for your spirit that you are bringing to West Coast uh, up close. And we're going to have a great time in these next few days. I do want to welcome our guests here as well. And uh, we're excited to have you with us. And uh, we're going to have a great few days together. Second uh, Kings chapter number 18 is where we are at this morning. And we'll read just the first six verses here of Second Kings chapter number 18. The Bible says in verse number one, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abai and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to open up your word here in chapel today. Lord, I thank you for the example of Hezekiah. Lord, I pray that you would please help us in these next few moments to follow in the footsteps of Hezekiah. And I pray that you would help us to examine our own lives and to understand the significance of what is happening in this passage. Lord, I pray you'd give us discernment and wisdom as we open up your word this morning. And please bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, high places are referred to over a hundred times throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes there can be some confusion about what these high places were because there were numerous different types of high places that were found in the nations of Israel and Judah at this time. A general definition of what a high place is was an unauthorized shrine that was scattered throughout the land and they were unsanctioned for the worship of Jehovah. These shrines were scattered across Israel and Judah and include anything from Jehovah worship to pagan child sacrifice. 
Some of the common features of these high places would have been an altar in the middle of them. There would have been some type of a stone pillar or an obelisk there. And, and oftentimes a tree or a pole that would represent the goddess Ashtaroth. And there would be a laver for ceremonial washing there as well. Now there were various forms of high places that were found in the Old Testament. And it's imperative that we understand the differences. And that we understand exactly what the Bible is referring to here as it refers to these places. The first type of high place was left over after the conquering of the land of Canaan under Joshua. Uh, they were left uh, from the Canaanites and they were not destroyed as Joshua came through the land and they were found all throughout the promised land. Exodus 34 tells us, take heed to thyself lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. Numbers 33, 52 tells us that then ye shall drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. Deuteronomy 7, 5, but thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Deuteronomy 12, 2, ye shall utterly destroy all the places. So the first type of high place that is mentioned throughout the Bible is where the Canaanites would have worshipped their pagan gods and many of them were not destroyed and they did not obey the commandment of the Lord as they came into the promised land. But the second type of high place that we find in the Bible was specifically used by the Israelites for pagan worship. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 27. And if you will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, verse 30, I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. So even in the book of Leviticus, God is prophesying that yes, the, the Israelites are going to create their own high places as well. So we have the high places that were set up by the Canaan that weren't destroyed, that were left over. We have new high places that are being built by the Israelites. And then the third portion of high places were specifically meant to worship Jehovah God. Deuteronomy 12, 13 tells us, take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest, but in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. And so we see this third category of high places is going to be oftentimes the most common that the Israelites are using some of the high places that are left over from the Canaanites. They're building some of their own high places, not to worship pagan gods, but to worship the one true God. But God is very very clear in Deuteronomy that this is not acceptable before him. Now, Hezekiah, as we come to this passage in chapter 18, is the first king in, in Judah's history to cast down the high places. Now, there were plenty of commands throughout the time 
that told uh, Hezekiah and told the previous kings that high places were not acceptable. Amos in, in Amos 7, 9 said, and the high places of Isaac shall be desolate. Hosea in chapter 10, verse number eight, the high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. Micah in Micah three twelve. therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become to the uh, treasures to the spoil and, and uh, become heaps and the mountain of the house as the high places of of the forest. And so even after Hezekiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, all throughout the prophets are forbidding this worship of the high places. But the question to ask this morning is why did it take Judah so long to destroy the high places? I mean, we're talking about 200 years of history. And the first king after even the northern tribes are destroyed at this point, the first king to actually destroy the high places is King Hezekiah. Now, it should not be a surprise that the rebellious kings of Israel and Judah worshipped in these high places. Uh, the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, in 2 Kings 23, 15, sets up his own high places. And later, King Josiah destroys, th destroys them 300 years later. The first king of the southern kingdom, and Rehoboam, in 1 Kings 14, 23, for they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. Ahaz, who was Hezekiah's father in 2 Kings 16, 4, sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. But what is baffling to me this morning is not that the wicked kings of Israel and Judah worshipped at these high places, but we also have a record of the good kings of Israel and Judah worshipping at these high places. Solomon in 1 Kings 3, 3, loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Asa in 1 Kings 15, 4, but the high places were not removed, and nevertheless Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings 22, 43, and he walked in all the ways of Asa's father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. Jehoash in 2 Kings 12, 3, but the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. Uzziah in 2 Kings 14, 4, how be it, the high places were not taken away as yet the people did sacrifice and burn incense on the high places. Azariah, 2 Kings 15, 4, save that the high places were not removed. 2 Kings 1535 describes Jotham, howbeit the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burned incense still in the high places. The fact is that Hezekiah, after 200 years of worshiping in the high places, is going to be the first person to finally obey God with all of his heart. Why did it take so long for the Israelites to tear down these high places? The answer this morning is this. The Israelites were entrenched in a form of religion that would not allow God to penetrate every high place in their own hearts. These physical high places were not torn down because there were spiritual high places in their hearts where God was not allowed. The truth is this morning that God demands 
every high place in our hearts. Very quickly this morning, let's examine four high places that we should pull down in our own hearts as Christians this morning. The first high place I find is in verse number four. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves. The first high place I find is the high place of culture. The high place of culture. Now the question is, why were the high places condemned in the first place? If they were worshiping God in these high places, why was God not pleased that they were at least worshiping God, but they were just worshiping him in the wrong place or in the wrong way? The answer is that the original high places that were left by these Canaanites was a direct assault on God's worship. Numbers 22, 41 describes a high place in Moab and it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought up into the high places of Baal that thence he might see the utmost part of the people. This is where Balaam was being asked to curse the children of Israel from a high place in Moab. Scholars describe the high places as predominantly Canaanite in origin. High places were common in the ancient Near East and seem to have been the normal places of worship for Canaanite religion. Uh, Harper's Bible Dictionary says from the Old Testament denunciations, it is clear that the high places had a central part in popular religion. High places in archaeology. We have a few pictures this morning. There were Moabite high places that have been discovered and uh, that have been mentioned on the Moabite stones, specifically describing the worship of uh, the Moabites in high places. Most of these high places were filled with bones from human sacrifices and pottery used in the worship of these false gods. A high place was from the time of Jeroboam has been discovered in Dan, and most likely the one that he built that's described in First Kings. A, a later high a place in Petra uh, has been preserved in solid rock. A high place from the time of Abraham has been discovered in Megiddo. You see, these high places were an intricate part of the culture that surrounded Israel that God had rejected. There was an undeniable link existing between the high places and the idolatrous Canaanite culture. Tyndale Bible Dictionary says, At these pagan high places, sacrifices of animals and sometimes of human beings took place, and religious prostitution or homosexual acts were common. It is natural that these practices should develop in a context of sympathetic magic where promiscuity was supposed to influence animals and crops. And God commands us today in our culture as well to reject sinful culture. 1 John chapter 2 verse number 15 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John 1, chapter, or 1 John chapter 1, verse number 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are all of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. However, there are so many times when the culture around us is not sinful or is not evil. 
We have to be careful that we are not being proponents of a type of Amish lifestyle where we are just completely cut off from the world. That is not what the Bible is speaking about. There are things in the world that are not evil, that are more tools. So we could talk about technology and smartphones and texting and screens. And there are plenty of things in this world that are not evil. They are not sinful. So how can we reach our culture but not be changed by our culture? There are certain aspects of our culture that are sinful and there are aspects that are not sinful. Romans 14, 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not in doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let him that which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. So where do we draw the line? Let me give you some clear, practical principles here about how to uh, relate to our culture today. Number one, obey the clear commands of Scripture. Obey the clear commands of Scripture. Whenever someone's trying to argue about culture and about whether this is, this is something that is acceptable in the use of God's worship or not, we need to go straight to what Scripture says about it. Honestly, that kind of clears up most of it. If we would just obey the clear commands of Scripture and not try to excuse the commands of Scripture, then that covers most of the things that we're talking about. Go back to the Bible and obey the clear commands of Scripture. Number two, serve one master. Serve one master. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, Galatians 1, 10, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So we see as we are trying to reach our culture but not be changed by our culture, we need to obey the clear commands of Scripture, but we also need to serve one master, and his name is Jesus Christ. We are not here to please men. We are not here to uh, tickle the ears of, of men uh, and, and please them with our doctrine and with our sermons. No, uh, we are here to please one person, Jesus Christ. I, uh, a few years ago, I was able to visit a, uh, a, a place where George Whitfield was buried. And uh, this is in, in uh, Massachusetts. And I believe I have a picture here of Newburyport, Massachusetts. He's buried under the pulpit of this church. And a very ap appropriate place to be buried when you're a preacher. He actually was scheduled to preach here at this church. And he died Saturday night uh, before he was supposed to preach Sunday morning. Talk about a little bit of a surprise for the host pastor waking up Sunday morning. But uh, we were able to go down. I think we have another picture of his grave underneath the pulpit there. And, and uh, just a, a very interesting uh, story surrounding George Whitfield that the tour guide told us. He was talking about that they had to seal this crypt up because uh, people were stealing pieces of George Whitfield. Um, like literally. And, and there was a guy who started this tradition. You might recognize his name. His name was Aaron Burr. And uh, he visited the grave of George Whitfield on the way to a battle, and he clipped off a piece of George Whitfield for good luck and uh, started a little bit of a tradition at this time. And uh, for the next hundred years or so, uh, people would ask to see the body of George Whitfield, and when the tour guide wasn't looking, they would snip off a, a finger or uh, a, a piece of his wig or a robe or just pretty much any piece of George Whitfield that they could get in that moment for a good luck charm. 
And uh, um, eventually the church caught on about it and they put in the newspaper in the 1800s, we are sealing the grave of George Whitfield. And if you have a piece of George Whitfield, please mail it back. And so they started to get uh, all of these pieces of George Whitfield back in the mail. And uh, in, in their museum, in the part of the church, they have a box in their museum where his arm came back uh, in the mail. And when the arm came in the mail, the town was so happy about it. They were ecstatic that they took the arm and they paraded it through the town that they finally have George Whitfield's arm back. If you ever want to see a piece of George Whitfield, the only piece left that was not mailed back is in a museum in New Jersey. It is his finger uh, that was not mailed back. But they mailed all of these pieces back. They sealed the grave. And I was not able to get a souvenir when I visited a few years ago. It's so disappointing. Now, guys, if you're looking for that type of a celebrity status in your ministry, you're going to be mistaken. You see, we don't serve ministry to please men. We don't serve Christ to, to make a name for ourselves. We don't serve Christ so that we can be the next keynote speaker. We don't, we don't serve Christ in ministry so that we can have our name plastered somewhere. No, we serve Christ to please the one who saved us from our sins. Our only master, our only ruler is Jesus Christ. So all of these different matters of trying to relate to culture and trying to figure out what is wrong and what is right. Guys, number one, obey the clear commands of Scripture. But number two, have only one master. And that will clear things up quite a bit. Number three, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. And it shall be given him. Now, the example of Solomon is amazing when it relates to these high places, and Solomon is known for his wisdom. Solomon sacrificed in the high places in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon received wisdom from God in the middle of that chapter. And at the end of that chapter, in verse number 15, the Bible says Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And right when he received wisdom, what did he do? He came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. So when, so when Solomon got wisdom, he knew that these high places were not the place to worship God. And he went straight to Jerusalem in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon builds a temple in 1 Kings 5, chapters 5 through 8. But 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon rejects wisdom, turns his back on God. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 5 through 8, he, we read that Solomon goes back to the high places. Solomon continues, goes back to his sin of worshiping in the high places. Romans 12, 16, but be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Ask God for wisdom on these matters. And then lastly, number four, keep a humble heavenly mindset. Keep a humble heavenly mindset. 
Jesus described his second coming in Luke chapter 21, verse 26. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. When is Jesus going to come back? It's when men are focused on the things of this earth and do not have a heavenly eternal mindset. Colossians 3, 1-2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things above of the earth. The church has always had a historically healthy distrust for the surrounding culture. And we must never lose that. Sometimes we read about uh, preachers in the early 1900s that preached against the piano in the church because the piano was a barroom instrument at that time. And they said, bless God, we will never have a piano in church. Not really a big deal today, is it? I've heard of preachers who preached against the radio because the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And even in my generation, I remember sitting through sermons against MySpace and Facebook and social media. A lot of times we make fun of that when we look back at previous generations, but don't miss the principle that there was a healthy distrust of the surrounding culture. And through these illustrations, though they seem silly now, we can learn from these conservative preachers that we must not quickly jump into the newest fad of culture. The Bible is clear in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. As our generation, we should not lose that healthy distrust of the surrounding culture, the high place of culture. Why was this such a stumbling block for the Israelites? Well, it was all about the culture surrounding them, and they led it into the worship of God. Number two, the second high place I find is the high place of compromise. Verse number four, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto these days the children of Israel did burn incense to it and he called it Nehushtan. Here is something that the Israelites that was, were, were worshiping that was good, but they made it bad. And then other times, as we've seen, they would take something bad from the Canaanites and try to make it good. The Canaanite origins of the high places are all around a scholarship. The Canaanites used altars that they claimed were originally built by the Hebrew patriarchs and were intended to legitimize their adoption by Israel to claim that they had already been Israelite. Lexham Bible Dictionary says, while the high places certainly were used for the worship of Canaanite deities, the more common use, at least during the times of Israelite dominance, was to use high places for the worship of Yahweh while continuing Canaanite practices. In Deuteronomy 16, 21, thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God, which thou shalt make thee. The Israelites were responsible for taking something that was good and making it bad and taking something that was bad and trying to make it good. We talked about King Asa and we talked about the compromise that he had. Second Chronicles 14 tells us that he did take away the high places, but Second Chronicles 15 tells us that he didn't take away the high places. And many scholars believe that the reason for these two verses is because he took away the high places that were used in pagan worship, 
but he didn't take away the high places that were used in Jehovah worship. Both were wrong in the eyes of God. God will not accept worship that is mixed with the worship of this world. Now, usually at a point like this, a preacher is going to start preaching against, you know, uh, uh, contemporary Christian music and drum sets in the church and all this, this worldly worship that, that's coming into the church. And I'm completely against all of that. I think if you talk to me, you would find out I am extremely conservative in music, and, and uh, that's not really the issue here. But the issue is this. I have been to so many churches that have the most conservative music on the planet, and they bore everyone to tears, and then they go out and they live like the world. I have been to Christian schools where they would only sing a certain type of music. They were very strong. They were known in their community for that type of music. But if you would see how their students dress, it's completely unacceptable before the eyes of God. The immodesty, the, the issues, the, the gossip, the, the drama. You see, worship is not just about the music. Worship is about your lifestyle. You can listen to the most conservative music, but you can still offer God compromising worship. And Satan has distracted us to think that if we have conservative music, then, then we're good. I've seen Christian schools that have cold and hard hearts of the teens. Oh yes, we have really conservative music, but there is no revival and any, any flame of revival is going to be snuffed out in that Christian school or in that church. There's discord among the church members and among the brethren. We need to be careful this morning that we are not priding ourselves like the Pharisees did in our standards while living a lifestyle that is completely unacceptable before God. A lifestyle of compromise. What worship are you offering God today? Oh yeah, I can, I can sing victory in Jesus by heart, but what are you watching in the dorm? Oh man, I, I tell you what, if someone asks me about that song, I know who wrote it, I know when it was written, I know, I know everything about it, but, well, you know, I'm kind of binging a show right now that, you know, I, I don't really want to talk about. It's just kind of personal. All of our technology and all of our entertainment, what is happening to our churches? Oh man, we can put a really good show on and we can be as conservative as anyone is. But what are you accepting in your heart? What is the highest place in, in your heart that you are keeping back from God that is hindering revival and that is just as unacceptable as any of the contemporary worship that we see today? Don't compromise your worship. James 4, 4, ye adulterers and adulteress, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is enemy of God. The third high place I see is the high place of confusion. Look at verse number 22 here. We don't have time to get into the context of this verse, but the Assyrians are, are sieging Jerusalem at this time. And one of the Assyrian uh, proclaimers here, one of their orators, is giving a speech to the people of Jerusalem. Look what he says in verse number 22. But if he say unto men, this is the Assyrian speaking, 
we trust in the Lord our God. Is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and hath said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? What does the Assyrian say? This is the enemy of God. And he's standing on the wall and he's saying, guys, you're gonna turn to God? Isn't it true that Hezekiah tore down all of his high places? Man, he, he, knew his, uh, he knew his culture. He knew his context of what he was talking about. He, what was he doing? He was confusing the people. And that's what the high places were. There were places of confusion. One scholar talks about the diversity. This archaeologist talks about the diversity of these high places in archaeology, a variety of rituals, different objectives. He found earthen and field stone altars that are slightly elevated and used for offerings to Yahweh. He found low altars used for offerings not dedicated to Yahweh. He, he found altars with bases. He found altars without bases, altars with a horn, altars without a horn, round-shaped altars, square-shaped altars, rimmed altars, unrimmed altars, larger and smaller altars, placed in juxtaposition. Uh, we see other types, house-like structures, uh, open-air religious sites, cemeteries even. It was pretty much a free-for-all. However you want to worship God it is going to be acceptable at these high places. 1 Corinthians 14 reminds us, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things done be done unto edifying, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let all things be done decently and in order. But not only in our church polity, but what about your own life? Is there confusion? Oh, well, you know, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to worship God this way. James 3.16 is a very convicting statement about confusion. James writes, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Does James 3.16 describe your life more than John 3.16? Envying and strife and confusion. What does that lead to? Every evil work the high place of confusion. And lastly, as we close, we see the high place of convenience. The high place of convenience. This is really where the rubber meets the road. Verse number 23, again, uh, the Assyrians are speaking here. Now, therefore, I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria, and I will deliver thee 2,000 horses if thou will be able on thy part to set riders upon them. What, is, what are the Assyrians trying to appeal to? convenience. What are these high places all about? Oh, you don't need to go to the temple to worship God. We just have something right here. It's right here and ready for you. You just can worship God how you want. It's all about convenience. We do not serve a convenient God. Mark 8, 34, Jesus says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. Matthew 16, Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And 
let me encourage you, whether you're a guest here for college days or whether you're a student and going through missions conference in a week or looking to uh, interview days, whatever your situation is, remember, we do not serve a God of convenience. Do not look for the most convenient job. Do not look for the most convenient way of life. Do not look for the most convenient college. Do not look for the most convenient location. Do not look for the most convenient paycheck. All of these things are distractions to what God's real will is for your life. Do not worship God on an altar of convenience. The church is not a 7-Eleven. We do not serve God just on our own time. What are you trying to add in your life that's convenient, but it's not spiritual? Turn to one more passage and we'll be done this morning. 2 Kings chapter 21. Just a few years before Hezekiah tore down all the altars and all the high places, after 200 years of no one doing anything about it, Hezekiah sees great revival. But unfortunately, his son, Manasseh, we read about in verse number one of chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 50 and five years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Look at verse number three. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He reeled up all altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Let me encourage you, West Coast Baptist College. Let's not be the generation that builds up what previous generations have torn down. I think about my own family. I think about my father-in-law growing up in a Southern Baptist family, could have gotten a full-ride scholarship to any Southern Baptist college that he wanted to go to, but he knew that God had called him to an independent Baptist college called Tennessee Temple, led by Pastor Lee Robertson. Even after graduating that college, he received job offers from friends in the Southern Baptist Convention who, who said, hey, here's, your, here's what you would get paid. Hey, this would be yours. Hey, have this on a silver platter. But I'm thankful that my father-in-law had the discernment to not live a life of convenience and go to a church where he got paid $43.75 a week and saw God work an amazing way in his ministry. I think about my own grandfather who was raised in a United Methodist Church. Eventually, after World War II, they got a new pastor. That pastor did not hold to the fundamentals of the faith. That pastor was denying what the Bible was teaching. After hearing the preaching and even serving as a deacon in that church, he left that church and joined an independent Baptist church where he was able to serve the Lord and eventually got baptized by immersion and became a Baptist. I'm so thankful for the battles of previous generations. And I'm sure if you think about your own life, there's someone who has made a difference in your own life that has torn down a few things. Don't be the generation that builds it back up. Don't be the generation that has the high place of culture. I just want to, I just want to please the culture. Don't have the high place of compromise. Don't have the high place of confusion 
and certainly do not have the high place of convenience in your life. Will you take the high road? Will you give God the highest place?